is Thursday, October 13th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 6 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Small. And Jared, we got a good one tonight. It's Washington at Chicago. There might be double-digit points in this one. There might be triple-digit passing yards in this one. We got Commanders favored by a half point. I'm not even sure if it's going to stick at that by the time we get to the game because it looked like the money was favoring the Bears in this one. But it barely matters. Over under 38. And I think that tells us most of what we need to know. You would like to not have to rely on this game for much fantasy value. It doesn't mean we're not playing anybody, but you'd like to not have it be an important game for your lineup. I think both defenses are really good plays in this game. That's, you know, those are probably the two best fantasy plays in this game. Yeah, that's worth keeping in mind for showdowns, I suppose. I am playing Carson Wentz over Matthew Stafford and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that's not really going out on a limb based on what those guys have done for the season, but that's over two guys that are ahead of him in our rankings right now. The risk with Wentz is he's dealing with a biceps tendon injury. It's tough to know how much that's impacting him. I'd like to think that if it were actually limiting him in any real way, that they'd go ahead and play Taylor Heineke because we just saw an almost a full season of Taylor Heineke starting for this team. So we know he's fine, even if they believe Carson Wentz is an upgrade over him. And so far, Carson Wentz just 25th in PFF passing grade. He's ahead of both Lawrence and Stafford in that category. He's eighth among quarterbacks and fantasy points, second in pass attempts. So this team has leaned pass. He's had the duds against Philly and Dallas. Those are the two good defenses he's faced. He's been over 300 yards and two plus touchdown passes in each of the other three games. And there's certainly nothing scary about the Chicago defense. Yeah. We liked Wentz last week. He came through with a quarterback five finish for us. Um, I I'd use Lawrence over Wentz and we can get to Lawrence later, but my, my issue with Wentz is teams are going so run heavy against the bears. You can check out uh, the pass rate over expected stuff we have up on the site now, but we have that for, you know, defenses too. And the bears are 31st in pass rate over expected against meaning teams are going super run heavy against them. Um, that's a large part because they're generally, you know, the bears are generally playing from behind teams are able to you know milk leads against them. Um, the, the bears are also worse against the run than they are against the pass. According to football outsiders, Defensive DVOA uh, football outsiders has them 15th against the pass. So I, I just worry a bit about once his volume in this game. I do think it's going to be a super low scoring game. So it's tough to get excited about you know, the upside of any piece here. I mean, the Bears have also faced the Niners with Trey Lance. They got the Packers who want a lean run. They got the Texans who would love to not have Davis Mills throw a lot. They have they played the Giants, whose only offensive piece is Saquon Barkley, <laughs> and then the Vikings last week. So I, I'm not at all worried about Carson Wentz. I've actually bet his over in passing yards on multiple sites right now. I'm, I'm curious to see tomorrow how I did by like looking over. I think there's at least three different places where I took the over on passing yards. <laughs> He's at two nineteen and a half for the over under on sleeper. Um, that's it, his number in like the betting markets and elsewhere has gone up and down. It was up to like two thirty, I think on underdog it's back down to like two twenty two or something like that. I, I'm taking the over on him because I don't think that this Washington team can lean run that much. I mean, maybe they're not going to throw enough for him to get 300 yards again, but I think 240 is pretty easily attainable. Yeah, that's about what we have met, right? 240. And that, that's, you know, I, we did project them to, the, for Washington to go a bit run heavier than they have so far this season. Even with that, we have Wentz going over. So I do like this spot a lot for Curtis Samuel. He's obviously been, you know, a consistent fantasy producer all season because of the volume. Um, he gets the slot matchup against Kyler Gordon. Kyler Gordon has allowed the most catches and the most receiving yards in coverage this season. You know, uh, Samuel's kind of been Wentz's top target he's actually led the team in targets every single week so far of the season I think that's going to continue in this matchup 
Yeah, Curtis Samuel's not quite as easy a bet for me as Carson Wentz this week, but at four and a half receptions, he's a decent play along with Wentz in those over-under pick-ems. Um, you know, if you go to sleeper.com, use the promo code DraftSharks, you can get a full deposit match there. Uh, if you're new playing over-unders on Sleeper, you can get the same thing on Underdog. If you're new to Underdog pick-ems, put in promo code DraftSharks, they'll match your first um, deposit. So I agree. Curtis Samuel, a fairly easy start here. Surprising that he's led the team in targets every single week. But I mean, there's obviously something to that for five straight games. Now, Terry McLaurin wide receiver 31 on the season with just one touchdown. He's 19th among wide receivers in receiving yards, just 38th in expected PPR points on the year. And he's actually scoring a little bit over expected. So I think Terry McLaurin's a fine, like mid to low wide receiver three, not somebody I'm going out of my way to start, but not somebody that I'm scared of this week either. Yeah. Just a 16% target share for McLaurin. You know, even with Jahan Dotson out last week, you know, McLaurin was fine, but we saw De'Ami Brown get the two touchdowns. So I'm, I'm still upset about that because I played a lot of McLaurin in DFS. So it was frustrating to see Brown get those, but I, I, I just think McLaurin's a wide receiver three at this point. Like we're five games into the season. He's just not getting the volume to, to you know, be more than that. I agree. Brian Robinson immediately led the team in carries in his first NFL game last week. The receiving work was not with him. He was third in playing time among them. I would expect that he's going to play more snaps as he gets worked in. No idea, though, just how much that grows this week. So I would rather not use Brian Robinson or either other Washington running back in this game. I would expect Robinson's role to continue to grow, too. I mean, I, I don't think Washington wants Antonio Gibson to be a big part of their offense. I do worry, though, you know, Robinson in his second game now on a short week, like what that's going to mean for his – so I, you know, I don't expect him to come out and get 15 carries tonight. I would bet on him leading this backfield in the carries, but it's probably going to be you know, like 10 to 12 of them. Yep, I agree with that. On the Bears side, David Montgomery immediately reclaimed control of that backfield in his first game back from injury last week. 72% of snaps, 63% of running back routes. Um, Washington hasn't been a great RB matchup that's costing just 19% of PPR scoring for the position. So not overly worried about that. I would play David Montgomery fairly comfortably. Yeah, he's a safe alien bet, and you know this is a game where Chicago might not be playing from behind, so you know that could mean more touches for Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And he, by the way, has some fairly low uh, receiving projections in the pick'em and over/under game, so I think that specific line is interesting, just in case they do have a little trouble um, running the ball in that game. I nothing else for me on the Chicago offense. So, do you have anything else in this game? No, I did want to note that um, Justin Fields is posted his two best pff passing grades in the last two weeks so you know he, he's kind of quietly playing a bit better so we'll keep an eye on that um and then it, it's a good matchup for darnell mooney like good enough for maybe i'd play him in like a showdown lineup but um i would not i would not want to trust him in a season-long lineup yet yeah um is that his two best passing grades of this year or overall this year Okay. And they're still not great grades, but they're, you know, better than the first three weeks. Yeah. I mean, we're looking for silver lining. We're not looking for a reason to start them yet. So yeah, we'll take, yeah. take that silver lining Minnesota at Miami. The next one up Vikings by three and a half over under 45 and a half. It's tied with Broncos chargers for third highest over under, at least as of when I was collecting these numbers, which surprises me based on what's going on with the Miami offense. The dolphins are still implied for 21 points by those numbers. And that's with Skylar Thompson as the starting quarterback here. He went 19 to 33 against the jets last week, five yards per pass attempt. He only took two sacks, but took pressure on 21 of 35 dropbacks, took 16 QB hits in that game. I'm betting against this Miami offense in this game. 
Yeah, I'm more optimistic, and it's it's you know less to do with Thompson than it is you know Mike McDaniel's scheme and the fact that they have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Um, you know, Thompson seventh round rookie. He did have some fans. I know Matt Waldman was a big fan of Skylar Thompson coming out of camp. I mean, he played in bad offenses at Kansas State, so the numbers aren't great. Um, and Th- Thompson was great in the preseason, fifth among 77 qualifying quarterbacks in PFF passing grade in the preseason. So you know, I think there's at least potential that he's not a disaster. And but again, you're you're betting on the scheme here, you know, Mike, the way Mike McDaniel sets up this offense, like Thompson needs to complete five to 10 yard passes, just get the ball to Hill and Waddle in space. I mean, I do think it's interesting that Miami still has that 21 point implied total. I think that's, you know, it's not a big number, but I think in a lot of cases, a seventh round rookie quarterback, you'd see an implied total like 16 or 17. So I think the, the, the odds makers are saying that, you know, this Dolphins offense might be okay. I'm not going to lie. I was not prepared for the preseason um, passing grade, number to be brought up is that what number was he in that again uh fifth among 77 qualifiers at at what level of dropbacks because he's coming up lower uh, than that when i look at it i i probably did like 20 or 30 i'd have to do it again right. i just so I, I mean i hope <laughs> that he's not a disaster i'm betting that he stinks this week for our purposes at least the guy never had more than 12 touchdown passes in a college season i mean we can say what we want about his his offense in college but if you can't make the offense better as a college quarterback at kansas state i'm not betting on you holding up as an nfl quarterback um 4.7% career touchdown rate, 62.4% completions, not especially fast. I know he was a preseason darling, but I, I just, I don't have a whole lot of faith here. I'm most likely starting Tyreek Hill, but we're talking like low in wide receiver two range for me. He did have a full practice Wednesday, so we probably don't have to worry about the injury for him. We don't have to worry about the injury for Jalen Waddle, but uh, Tyreek Hill would be like low wide receiver two and Jalen Waddle more like a wide receiver three for me. Yeah, a bit higher for me. I would, um, in, in most cases, keep those guys in my starting line. I'm just, just betting on the talent. I'm playing Alan Lazard, Jacoby Myers, Adam Thielen, and Deontay Johnson over Jalen Waddle. Um, I'm not playing any of those guys over Waddle. That's fair. Raheem Mostert, <laughs> arguably the most attractive Dolphin because they're going to need to lean on the running game, but that leaning might already be hurting him. He missed Wednesday's practice with a knee issue, so we're going to have to watch and see how serious that is. Yeah, scary for a guy with Mostert's injury history. Um, now, you know he. I, I watched all that Dolphins game. And he, I didn't notice him get dinged up at all. He was in there till the very end. Um, so it could just be a case of you know they they have been loading him up with touches these last two weeks now, which is you know why we like Mostert at this point. Seventy um, percent of Miami snaps over the last two games. Seventy-seven percent on the running back carry. So maybe Wednesday was just you know, more of a rest maintenance day. Um, you know, we'll we'll have a better idea this afternoon when we get Miami's Thursday injury report. And maybe this game will show us if there's going to be a viable RB2 here without Mostert getting hurt. It's easy for one game to be like, oh, we're going to lean on this guy because it's working with him. This game to this week will be, um, you know, one where they want to lean on the running game on whole. I assume not want to overwork Raheem Mostert because there's still most of the season left to go. So I'll be curious to see if Chase Edmonds or Miles Gaskin works in for a decent amount of touches in this game. Yeah, Gaskin played ahead of Edmonds last week. Edmonds has, you know, tanked since week one. So we'll see if that's a trend. Um, but yeah, Moster, assuming he's healthy, the only guy you want to play in this backfield. Yeah, and the Minnesota side of this one's easy. You just play everybody. I mean, Dalvin Cook's yardage projection is a little bit low. If you look at our rankings, Miami has played the run fair, uh, pretty well this season. He's still mm-hmm. RB11 in our rankings. So, I mean, 
you know, what I want to watch with Dalvin Cook is to see if the receiving role rebounds. It's it's fallen off some seeding work to Alex Alexander Madison over the past two weeks. So we'll see if that was the shoulder thing or if that's going to be something they keep doing. Yeah, Cook and Madison tied in pass routes last week, and it was the closest snap split between them in the season, just 57% of the snaps for Cook to 43 for Madison. So I want to see if that continues to be the case. I think you're still starting Delvin Cook, you know, maybe a low-end RB1 in this matchup. I, I love this spot for Minnesota's passing game. The Dolphins are looking like a big-time pass funnel. Um, Football Outsiders has them dead last in pass defense, seventh in run defense, and they are fourth in pass rate over expected against, meaning teams are – deciding to go pass heavy against Miami, which, you know, it all, it all adds up. It all makes sense. So I think this should be a pass heavier game plan from the Vikings offense. And we'll see if Miami gets Xavier Howard back, you know, that'd be a, a big loss for them uh, against Justin Jefferson. Yeah. missed him last week. They've been missing Byron Jones at the other corner all year. So it certainly makes sense that they would be struggling in uh, pass defense. Certainly not an offense that you want to face right now with issues and coverage. <laughs> Um, Anything else there? I mean, I guess we could talk Irv Smith, but it's kind of like, hey, do you need a tight end? Irv Smith's in a fine spot. Yeah, he he is trending up um, season high route rate last week for Irv Smith at 70%. um, And and Miami's been bad against tight ends this this season. So um, it's a good spot for Smith. Not, Not a safe play, but there's definitely upside to him this week. Right. And you're not finding safe plays at tight end 12 with this season's guys. Right. New England at Cleveland Browns by two and a half over under 43. You play all the running backs in this one. Anybody who's healthy. We'll see about Damian Harris. I mean, the initial report was this is a multi-week hamstring thing. And then he's limited Wednesday. I mean, it's New England. So he might have like accidentally stepped one foot onto the practice field. And they're like, oh, mark him limited so that nobody knows what we're doing. Yeah, Mac Jones was limited all last week too. And it you know seems like he had no chance of really playing in that game. So I would still plan on no Damian Harris. Um, and that sets Ramondre Stevenson up for a massive workload. I mean, le- last week he was literally the only running back left on New England's active roster when Harris went down. So he, he got all the snaps. Um, they do have Pierre Strong that will probably be active for this game. I- I'm expecting them to call up J.J. Taylor from the practice squad. Those guys will mix in, but like, I still think Stevenson's going to play, you know, 70 to 80% of the snaps, dominate uh, the backfield work here in-, in a good matchup against Cleveland. So I think Stevenson is an RB1 play this week. Yeah, I agree. And Cleveland's been especially bad against the run over the past few weeks. And we've seen Ramondre Stevenson healthily involved in the passing game, which is only going to be more so likely if Bailey Zappi is in there at quarterback again. Um, So, yeah, I love Ramondre Stevenson this week. And you can, you know, consider trying to sell him after this week, although he's going to remain usable even once Damian Harris is back. But it could very well be that after this week, Ramondre Stevenson looks like a fantasy stud. So you might be able to get some difference making stuff. Yeah, it's a good call. Um, I, I, we talked about the running backs. We have Amari Cooper, Jacoby Myers, David and Joku in this game. I think you basically sit those guys at your own risk, not saying that Cooper and Myers are top 15 wide receivers, but we've seen what they are capable of. I don't think Jacoby Myers is going to regularly hit hundred yards, but I can't say that he's not going to hit 80 to 90 yards in a given week. So there are guys that are definitely within consideration. You know, you could check our rankings based on who you have to see exactly who you would, who we would start over them, but they're both top 25 options this week. Yeah. I mean, Jacoby Myers has a 31% target share so far this season, which, you know, he hasn't been that high in recent seasons, but you know, he's been a 25% target share guy. So that's just kind of what he is. I think he's underrated in fantasy. Um, same kind of deal with Cooper. I mean, he's had a couple down games, but he also has a 30 plus percent target share in three of his five games this season. And then Joku, I, I mean, he's just a tight end one at this point. Like he, he's an every week starter. If you're, if you don't have one of the elites, like in Joku's a great guy to have. Jacoby Myers is like quiet Jarvis Landry. 
Yes, exactly. San Francisco at Atlanta. I, I typed Falcons by five and a half in my notes. That is obviously not the case. 49ers by five and a half over under 44 and a half. 49ers are number one in defensive DVOA, fifth against the pass, first against the run. So try not to play anybody wearing a Falcons jersey in this game. Even Drake London barely cracked our top 36 in our wide receiver rankings this week. And I can't argue him any higher. Yeah, so he was not on the injury report, right? Yeah, because there was a report that he he you know dealt with a knee injury in the fourth quarter last week, and that's why his routes were way down. But he's not on the injury report at all. So that's, that's just Arthur Smith being Arthur Smith, I guess. Um, yeah, not excited about anything here. It does look like Kyle Pitts will be back for Atlanta. He was limited on Wednesday, but you know it's we we know the story with Kyle Pitts at this point. You know, play him at your own risk. Yeah, Kyle Pitts was limited Wednesday. He's probably going to be limited Sunday. Um, you know, do what you need to do, I guess. Um, and the, the Drake London thing is just the latest, like, if you have a choice between trusting and not trusting Arthur Smith, then go with not trusting him on yeah, the Niners just, side. Yeah, 65% of the routes for, for Drake London last week makes no sense. Yeah. Behind Alameda Zacchaeus. <laughs> right. Should have, I mean, like it should have been a game where Drake London saw 10 plus yep. targets unless he physically couldn't. And it certainly doesn't seem like he physically couldn't. On the Niners side, Jeff Wilson Jr. has become an easy start. Similar to Ramondre Stevenson, though, he's a good guy to try to go ahead and trade now because we're going to be getting Tyreon Davis-Price and then Elijah Mitchell back. And even if Jeff Wilson keeps a role, it's not going to be, you know, clear backfield leader like it is right now. So I've seen lots of people ask about trading Jeff Wilson, and he's uh, probably like the most realistic sell-high running back right now because you could have gotten him off of waivers a couple weeks ago. And Tyron Coleman looks good last week and you know he he mixed in now that you know that was a easy blowout win over Carolina I think that's probably why Coleman got as much run as he did I still think you're going to see Wilson getting the majority of the work in this backfield and he's just he's just been good I mean Wilson's been a top 22 half PPR running back in each of the last four games you know since since the Niners lost Eli Mitchell so um, yeah I agree he's a sell high but I also think you can you know continue plugging him in as as a pretty safe RB2 every week at least until Mitchell gets back yeah, and because you didn't invest anything to get him initially, you don't have to sell him if you don't want to, if you don't get any good return. You can just play him out, and then if he runs out of value for you, then whatever, you didn't end up losing anything. Um, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, fairly obvious. I think George Kittle might be a sit candidate if he played at a better position. I would really <laughs> yeah. like to see him get more than 17.4% target share, which is what he's gotten in his three games, all of those with Jimmy Garoppolo. But you know, with the way things are at tight end right now, it's tough to say that he's anywhere like outside the top 10. Yeah. He, you know, he's at least out there for pass plays. I think, you know, the concern with Kittle for most of his career has been, you know, he spends a lot of time blocking. He's run around 86% of the pass plays in all three games so far. That's a really strong number. As long as that continues, like he's going to have a few big games here or there. And, you know, he, he's just, he's like you said, the position's so weak. I think Kittle's a, a pretty easy starter. Brandon Ayuk is down in Drake London territory without the, kind of individual game target upside 18.6% target share for him. That would be a fine number if it were a higher volume pass offense, but we're averaging 28.7 pass attempts through three Jimmy G full games this year. He averaged 29.4 per game last year. So it's just a low volume pass offense. And that's just a, it's a mediocre target share for the kind of offense that they run. Yeah. Ayuk has no week better than wide receiver 34 and a half PPR points. He's been outside the top 40 in the other four games so far. And he's just 60th in expected fantasy points over the last three weeks with Jimmy Garoppolo and even with the Niners going a bit pass heavier. So I mean, the, the volume just hasn't been there for him. Mm-hmm. Anything else from that game? Nope. 
Tampa Bay at Pittsburgh bucks by eight and a half on the road over under 43 and a half Steelers implied for just 17 and a half points. It's down one and a half from where it opened. Only the Panthers this week come in with a lower implied total and it makes plenty of sense. I still think you expect plenty more passing volume from this offense though, which is not likely to run the ball that successfully in this game, likely to have trailing game script again, like last week at Buffalo I think that that helps the fantasy upside of all the receivers. And I would probably, I would probably, I would definitely play Deontay Johnson first. He was the target mm-hmm. leader still among them in Kenny Pickett's first start. I would lean Ke- uh, George Pickens over Chase Claypool, even though Claypool got one more target than Pickens last week. Yeah, I definitely play Pickens over Claypool. So, so, you know, we have a game and a half of Kenny Pickett now. Um, Deontay Johnson's seen 23% of the targets over that span. Pickens 18 and a half Claypool about 15 and a half. I could, I could see that, you know, kind of being what we get for the rest of the season, you know, Johnson's still the clear leader, not where he you know was last year and even early this year up in the high twenties, even you know, nearing 30, um, but still the clear leader. And I, I think Pickens will be around, you know, 18, 20%. I think that's enough to, to make him a wide receiver three, um, you know, tough matchup this week, as you mentioned. So maybe downgrade him a bit, but uh, man, he, he continues to, to look awesome. Pat Fryermuth came out of last week's game with a concussion, was limited Wednesday, so we're going to have to watch him to see this week if he makes a full return. It was not his first concussion, though, so I was a little surprised that he was back that quickly. Yeah, three concussions in the past 11 months. That's according to our you know injury history and our injury predictor. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the, the limited practice gives him a chance. Um, if no, Fryermuth, it's Zach, Zach Gentry as the Steelers' top tight end. Yeah, and if they're passing the ball 60 times, maybe that makes Zach Gentry more of a thing than we want him to do, but that's all we can say. <laughs> yep. The Bucks on the other side carry the third highest implied total for the week, tied with the Packers, and we'll talk about them in a few minutes. I'm definitely betting Bucks over Packers for what that's worth, though, on the offensive side. And I mean, really, you just play everybody that's obvious here or even close to obvious. There's a new injury for Russell Gage, though, so he definitely doesn't fit into the go-ahead-and-play-him category for most folks. Right. We've, you know, we've had the Bucks go back super pass heavy again, these last two games now, uh, 52 attempts for Tom Brady in both those games. So, you know, that's obviously good news for the wide receivers. I think it's good news for the running backs too. Like, you know, you want Fournette catching passes, not running it 20 times because, you know, the running game has remained inefficient. So um, good news all around. I think Chris Godman's another guy to watch. You know, he was limited last week, um, ran around just 54% of the pass plays. There was some speculation that he was, you know, just rested in the fourth quarter with the, the Bucks holding a pretty comfortable lead, but Godwin was limited again in Wednesday's practice. So, um, you know, he, he, he's going to carry some extra risk, especially in this game where, you know, the Bucks might have a two touchdown lead again in the fourth quarter and be able to, you know, sit Godwin for the, for the last quarter. Mm-hmm. This though is an offense where it'd be just fine to have 18.4% uh, target share. Yes. Yeah. Francisco one's not. Uh, and on that Bucks offense. It, so we talk a lot about not bothering to roster the handcuffs for starting running backs. I think Tampa Bay has certainly become one of the situations where I like it. We were hoping heading into the season that Rashad white would be the direct replacement for Leonard Fournette. They are operating as though that would be the case. And we haven't gotten the Leonard Fournette injury yet. Based on his history, it's probably coming at some point. So this is a case where I would be in favor of buying the handcuff, stashing Rashad White on your bench. That way, if and when Leonard Fournette goes down, you don't have to figure out who you're playing in his spot because you can just plug in Rashad White. Yeah, I mean, he's an elite handcuff. I think he's even approaching like running back three flex usability, especially as we're getting into the bye weeks now. Um, you know, we have White right now 34th among running backs 
in our PPR rankings. You know, he's played about 40% of the snaps in each of the last two games. And in the last two weeks, he's 29th among running backs and expected fantasy points. So, you know, he's, he's getting, and again, that's because Tampa's gone so pass heavy and White's getting the targets. Um, so, I, I, again, I think, he's, I think he's even usable this week if you're dealing with some bye week stuff. Yeah, he's basically Tony Pollard, but he's in an yeah. offense that's actually <laughs> using him as a receiver. Exactly. Cincinnati at New Orleans, Bengals by one and a half over under 43 and a half. No practice for T Higgins on Wednesday. So at least we know a little bit more about his ankle than we did on what was it Sunday night when he suddenly disappeared. Obviously we'll watch T Higgins throughout the week. If he doesn't play, that would certainly be good for Tyler Boyd. The tiger, the targets were not there for Boyd against Baltimore, but the playing time hit a season high. He was right with Jamar chase in terms of opportunity on that front. Yeah, I think Boyd will be playable as a wide receiver three if Higgins is out. Um, I think Higgins' absence would help Hayden Hurst as well, who had a nice game against the Ravens. He's up to 10th among tight ends and expected fantasy points. Um, and then on the Bengals side, it's obviously Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon, who continues to get the, the volume. I, I thought Mixon looked um, the best he has so far this season in that game against Baltimore, so maybe he's going to start to get rolling now. Maybe. I think a fair question on Joe Mixon is, is he just going to spend the season being somebody who scores well under expected? I mean, we always point to expected points and who's scoring over and who's scoring under, and he's farther under than anybody else. The touchdown luck is obviously going to swing his way at some point, even if it's just for a game here and there. But he's also working on career low 3.1 yards per carry through five games behind an O-line that might even be worse than last year. 22nd in adjusted line yards, according to Football Outsiders. They were 15th in that category last year. The offense on whole is disappointing this season. The coach has a spotty history in RB usage. We've already seen Samaje Pirine step in for a touchdown. So I cannot but wonder, Jared, you know, I'm not like, panicking on Joe Mixon, but I wonder if he's more of a let's wait for a huge game and then try to sell him than a let's buy him because a breakout is definitely coming. Yeah, I mean, we, we had him as a hold in the buy, sell, hold um, a couple of weeks ago. Where like, usually if I saw someone with those expected points versus what he's actually scored, I'd say like auto buy. But, um, you know, I, I, I dove into the numbers for that article and, you know, Mixon's efficiency stuff is down. So it's possible that he's just, you know, in decline phase this point in his career. Um, I don't see his volume getting scaled back a whole lot though. So I think it's going to be tough for him to not score as at least like a low end RB one the rest of the way on that volume. Um, and, and people just hate, hate Mixon. So I don't, I don't know if you're going to get enough value for him in a trade, but I, I agree that he's not somebody I'd go out and aggressively buy right now. Cause I do have some concerns about his play. Yeah, I mean, he's never going to be a panic sell for me at any point this year because he's going to be their lead back, even if it just disappoints all year. He's going to be the lead back for an offense that should ultimately be okay. But yeah, I I agree with the he he falls short of being a buy at this point. Um, Over to the Saints side. Actually, there's nothing else on the Bengals side, right? Nope. Yeah, Saints side, we got no practice for Jarvis Landry. We got no practice for Michael Thomas on Wednesday. Obviously, you have to watch those guys throughout the week. No practice for Chris Olave coming off of his concussion, and that points to him likely being out Sunday. So, you know, we're going to have to see who the receivers are for this Saints offense. The quarterback was back on the field on a limited basis. Jameis Winston took part in limited practice Wednesday. So we'll see who he's throwing passes to. Worth noting that the Bengals' defense has turned tough this year. Like, we would have guessed that this team would be meh to poor on defense and strong on offense. And so far it's meh to poor on offense. And the defense is eighth in overall DVOA. 
yeah, they're playing well. Um, we'll see who the Saints have available at wide receiver here. The Saints have gone super run heavy the past couple of weeks, and you know, unless they get at least a couple of those wide receivers back to this game, I think that will continue. So that's good news for Alvin Kamara, and I think that that means you know Taysom Hill is probably a good bet to again play a, a, a you know big role in this offense this week. Yeah. And so the question is always going to be, should I start Taysom Hill over blank? And we've got one on YouTube right now from Ethan Cannon says, should I start Taysom Hill or George Kittle? So the question on Taysom Hill, the answer is always going to be, I don't know. It's up to you because this whole thing that we do is all about educated guesses. And there's Mm -hmm. absolutely no way to educated guess Taysom Hill. If you're guessing on him by the numbers, numbers say, no, he's got one target all year as a tight end. He's played 30 snaps in the backfield so far, according to PFF, 27 at either inline tight end or a receiver position, 44 on special teams. 38 of those have been on the punt teams, either coverage or punt return. So this guy who has been the most effective offensive player for the Saints this year is getting more playing time in punt situations than on offense. Now, that doesn't mean he can't score. But if a guy is touching the ball maybe four to five times a game and we have no idea where those touches are coming, then there's absolutely no way to predict it. He's probably just like if you're talking likelihoods, he's likely to not help your fantasy team. But from what we've seen, the situations where he can get the ball, I mean, he could get one touch Sunday and be tight end six. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're 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 playing hell for the ceiling, right? I mean, he just scored twenty nine. PPR points, you know, Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, I'd say are the only tight ends right now that have that type of, you know, reasonable range, range of outcome. Um, now Hill's floor is, is one point, but if you're considering him first, you know, the tight end 10 in our rankings, that guy's floor is probably like four points in a full PPR league. So it's like, you're giving up a few floor points to get that ultimate ceiling. So, I mean, for me, I'm starting Kelsey Andrews, Tyler Higby, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, Dallas Goddard, and David Njoku. Those seven guys, if I have them, I'm starting them over Taysom Hill. Then it's like Evan Ingram, Gerald Everett, Kyle Pitts. You, you, you can you could I'd have no issue playing Taysom Hill over those guys. So it's only those those top seven guys in the rankings that I would definitely be playing over Taysom Hill. Yeah, and my answer though is always going to be like, if you want to, it's never going to be like yes, because you know if he get he could very well get three carries in this game and do absolutely nothing. So and then if we get eight targets for George Kittle, for example. It's like the, those two things don't balance out, but it, that's, that's why it's not playing coy or like trying to, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. It's it's not like trying to cover my butt. It's like, I have no idea. Taysom Hill is completely different than anything we've encountered. And the way right. the season's going is good versus expectations coming in because anybody who was drafting him in best ball or otherwise was not doing so because we were like, Oh, now he's a tight end. He's going to catch 50 plus balls. We're like, okay, I can play him at tight end and he might play quarterback at some point. So it's good that he's spending more time at quarterback than he is at true tight end, but it's still like, you know, a few opportunities a game that may or may not be in high leverage situations. So, I mean, it's, it's totally a personal call. Well, he's so tough because he has the widest range of outcomes among any player in fantasy football. And there's no way to project him really like, like matchups don't matter for, for Taysom Hill. It's, it's how are the saints going to use him in their game plan that week. And you know, we, we have no way of knowing that until the game starts. I will say that if you want to figure out whether to use him versus whoever else you're considering starting throw out last week, because there will absolutely never, ever be another game like that. 
and look at week one and week four as his true ceilings. Week one was when he had the four carries for 81 yards, had a long run in there. Even his touchdown in that one came from 11 yards out. So it wasn't like a, an, a goal line plunge. And then week four, five carries, 21 yards, touchdown. I think those are reasonable expectations for his usage. Three to five carries, maybe a chance at a touchdown. He's not going to have 100 yards rushing. He's not also going to throw a touchdown pass. So, you know, let's forget week five. We can, you know, consider that that is within the broad range of possibilities. But, you know, look at week one and week four for the true ceiling, I think. He only has three carries inside the 10-yard line and only one inside the five this year. So, you know, he's been getting these touchdowns from distance. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anything else from that game? You're not starting Marquez Callaway here, are you? Uh, no. I mean, if all three of those receivers are out, then, I mean, Callaway and Traquan become options at some point, but they're definitely not good options or exciting options because, again, I do think you're going to see the Saints go super run heavy. Yes. Baltimore at the Giants, Ravens by six over under a 44 and a half. Not going to bother talking about Lamar Jackson or Mark Andrews here. Obviously, we got disappointed by Lamar Jackson last week. It's going to happen. We're still going to start him almost always. We'll see about Rashad Bateman's foot injury. It didn't even sound like John Harbaugh knew what to tell us, but he certainly didn't profess optimism early in the week. I mean, no practice on Wednesday, so that doesn't bode well for Bateman. I mean, the, and the foot, foot issues can be tricky, too. So I would at this point, I'd plan on not having him. And if Bateman's out, I think Devin Duvernay is, is in play as a wide receiver three. Um, you know, the matchup's good here against the Giants. And Duvernay last week led the wide receivers with 84% of the routes, uh, seven targets, so it's a 22% target share, and got three carries. I mean, if you watch the game, it was pretty clear they were trying to get the ball into Devin Duvernay's hands. Like, he's there. At, the, I, at this point, with J.K. Dobbins still, you know, coming off the knee thing, I think Duvernay is is the is the Ravens' you know second best weapon outside of Lamar Jackson. So I think he's going to continue to be a pretty big part of the game plan. Yeah, even though he didn't play like a true wide receiver one role last week, they were clearly trying to get him the ball. So I I like Devin Duvernay as an option this week. I would start him over somebody that we'll talk about um, later <laughs> in the show at wide receiver. He's down in Brandon Ayuk territory. Um, and then if Rashad Bateman is back, which doesn't seem likely at this point, but probably somewhere down in the low forties, yeah. I think for Duvernay. Yep. Yep. JK Dobbins snap decline last week, which was apparently not based on any injury setback or anything, just a pitch count that he was on, but it shows that we can't trust him at the very least. I think he's a, a use if you need him player, as opposed to somebody that you target regardless of matchups, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to not have to use J.K. Dobbins. He is sitting, you know, 26th in our rankings right now. Um, matchup's good here. I think I think you're expecting like 10 carries right now for Dobbins at this point. You know, maybe he gets a few targets. He probably needs to score to really pay off in fantasy. Um, but you know, decent chance to do that this week with the Ravens sporting the big implied total. He's sitting just ahead of Eno Benjamin and AJ Dillon in our rankings right now. That's assuming James Connor plays. I'm assuming, Jared, that Eno Benjamin jumps ahead if Connor's out. Oh, yeah. Right? For sure. Yeah. And you know, I'd I'd even probably use Dillon over Dobbins. I mean, we'll we'll get to Dillon. Um, but I'd probably lean towards him. But that you know, that's the range Dobbins is in at this point until we see him get that big, that big workload. Yeah. I I would that's Dylan was the one I was getting at too. We saw that game's up next, but we saw his work fall off last week. It's not a trend. It's an outlier at this point. So we're mm-hmm. going to have to see um, where it is beyond that. But I believe in the Green Bay running game more than I do J.K. Dobbins and his usage right now. Yep, that's fair. Um, on the Giants side, still no one for me besides Saquon Barkley. So I'm not even sure how much there is to talk about. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. We'll see if uh, it seems like Wondell Robinson has a chance to play this week. Darius Tony hurt his other hamstring, so um, you know, he's he's out of the picture for for a while. It seems like. How many hamstrings does he have? <laughs> I thought he already hurt his other hamstring. I can't keep I can't keep track anymore. <laughs> nah, that's my other other hamstring. Jets at Green Bay up next. Packers by seven and a half in this one, or seven depending on where you look. But it looks like it's more commonly seven and a half. And Jared, I bet the Jets plus seven and a half this morning. And so we've got the Packers tied for third highest implied total with the Bucks. As I mentioned earlier, I think that Green Bay is still getting too much credit despite what they've done so far this year. Uh, it's obviously not a tough matchup. The Jets are 21st in defensive DVOA. The Packers are are eighth in overall offensive DVOA. But they're third in rushing, which is carrying it, 13th in passing. They're 22nd in scoring, 14th in yards per play. It's just a mediocre offense, and I have a tough time betting on that offense beating any team by eight points right now, especially a Jets team that, you know, even if we're not trusting them to put everything together, they've got a lot of talent on offense. They, they do. Um, I, I think I would have rather bet the under on the um, Packers team total than Jets. I, I just don't want to put money on the Jets still. Um, I don't trust Zach Wilson on, on the road either. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. And I think this is kind of what we expected the Packers offense to be. I mean, we were, we were way below market on Aaron Rodgers in our preseason rankings. Um, it's because this remains a slow offense. It remains a run leaning offense. And you know, the, the I mean, Alan Lazard and, and Romeo Dobbs have been solid. Um, so that's not, not really the problem. It's just, you know, Rodgers doesn't have that elite fantasy ceiling without Devontae Adams right now. I think betting the Jets is just my way of getting back on the Brees Hall train after hopping off um, late in the season. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers, as you said, just okay for fantasy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the matchup, but there's um, also nothing wrong with the week two matchup against Chicago where he had 234 yeah. and two touchdowns. Last week against the Giants, where he had 222 and two touchdowns. He's got four straight games with between 220 and 260 yards and just two total touchdowns. So I would expect he would be somewhere in that range as well. He's not going to kill right. you, but probably not going to make your week either. Exactly. His last four fantasy finishes are quarterback 13, quarterback 14, quarterback 13, quarterback 13. So he's been super uh, consistent, just the you know, low end borderline quarterback one. I think that's kind of what Rodgers is going to be the rest of the season. He's like Derek Carr, but without Devontae Adams. <laughs> yeah. Fine spot for Alan Lazard, fine spot for Romeo Dobbs. They still both led Randall Cobb in routes last week, despite <laughs> what the receiving numbers said. Robert Tunyon still down in route rate, so that adds risk to him. He can be an option if you need somebody, but certainly not a target guy for me yet. Yeah, Lazard and Dobbs are 28th and 29th, respectively, in expected fantasy points among receivers over the last three weeks. So, you know, they're getting wide receiver three level usage. I think that's what they are. Cobb, I'm definitely not buying into that. Must have been just like a matchup thing, something that the Packers saw that they wanted to attack, you know, with Cobb in the slot. So I wouldn't touch him. And then, yeah, Tunyon's just kind of stuck in this 50 to 60% route range. So, I'm kind of starting to think that's just where the Packers want him. And it doesn't have anything to do with his, his, you know, ACL anymore. I mean, when you're as loaded in pass catching talent as they are, it makes sense that you want to limit. Got to get, got to get Mercedes Lewis on the field. (laughs) Yeah, Mercedes Lewis is going to break out one of these years. Might be when he's 42, (laughs) but it's going to happen. Aaron Jones, obviously a pretty easy start at this point. AJ Dillon, we started talking about his role took a big hit last week. But through four games, he had seven more opportunities than Aaron Jones. That's, of course, carries plus targets. And even with last week, Jones is now 19th in expected PPR points versus Dylan at 29th. So not a huge gap between those guys. 
all, all told through five games, the playing time had been close before that London game. So mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything um, from the team, from Matt LaFleur saying that this is how they're shifting. So I'm going to assume that it was a one game thing. I don't know why it was such a big change mm-hmm. for that one game. I'm obviously not comfortable completely trusting AJ Dillon, but as we talked about, I'm going to go ahead and bet on AJ Dillon in the offense over somebody like JK Dobbins. Yeah, I don't expect, you know, this, this, the snaps last week were 73% for Jones to 32% for Dillon. I don't expect that big of a gap going forward, but I do think it'll be bigger than what we saw over the first four games. Cause Aaron Jones just, he's produced better. He looks better. I, I think he's still the better running back. So I think Green Bay should want to, you know, make him, you know, like a 60, 40, 65, 35 guy. Um, I mean, you know, AJ Dillon had the big expected fantasy point total in week one, but since then he's 40th among running backs and expected fantasy points. So, you know, he, he's really not getting that valuable of a role. So, you know, he's still in RB three range. Um, you know, there's still some decent touchdown upside with him, um, especially in this matchup. But um, I, I do think he's trending down and Aaron Jones is trending up workload wise. Yeah. Now, if we look back at history, though, Aaron Jones has never been a workhorse. It's always been somebody mm-hmm. that they want to limit his touches some. So I think that there's certainly reason, especially when we talk about this team that needs to lean on its running backs. I think there's reason to believe that we get more A.J. Dillon work back. I probably doesn't belong up in the top 24, but I think settling in somewhere in like the RB 26 to 32 range on a weekly basis is uh, fair. Yep, I agree. On the Jets side, Brees Hall has taken over despite the Michael Carter two touchdowns last week. It's Hall leading the backfield at this point, and he's really the only Jet that I'm comfortably starting right now. And, you know, you might look at the way that he performed last week, getting 100 receiving yards on two catches and think, all right, I'm going to go ahead and sell this guy as a running back who still lost two touchdowns to Michael Carter in a Jets offense that I don't trust. But I would still call Brees Hall more of a buy than a sell high now that he's taking over the backfield. He got 17 and 18 carries the past two games, 23 and 22, or I'm sorry, 23 and 20 opportunities over those two games. Yeah, I'm definitely not selling him. I mean, the, the buy window might be closed with, you know, last week's big game. Um, and I'm definitely not selling him. I think he's, you know, an RB1 the rest of the way. And this is a good matchup for Hall. I mean, you don't like that the Jets are, what, seven point road underdogs, low implied total, all that stuff. But Green Bay's 30th in football outsiders run defense DVOA, and they're 30th in pass rate over expected against, meaning again, your know, teams are running against the Packers. And I would expect that to be the Jets game plan. That has been the Jets game plan too, by the way, since Zach Wilson has taken over, you know, they, they've been a very run heavy offense. I think this is going to be a close game and uh, my money is hoping that it's going to be now too. Awesome. That'd be good. Anything, for else, from, anything else from this one? No, the wide receivers, I mean, Corey Davis and Zach Wilson are tied with a 17 and a half percent target share from Zach Wilson through two games. Elijah Moore is at 14%. So he's just spreading it around and, you know, in a low volume and efficient passing game. I don't think you can trust any of those guys right now. Yeah, exactly. There's upside to these guys just because they're talented, especially if the jets do fall behind in this one, if you do believe the Vegas line, but it's tough to know yet how things are going to sort out. So we'll, we'll play wait and see. Jacksonville at Indianapolis Colts by one and a half in this one over under 42 less than a month ago, Jared 24, nothing Jacksonville in this very match matchup in Jacksonville. We had solid fantasy days from Trevor Lawrence, James Robinson, Evan Ingram. We had a stellar fantasy line from Christian Kirk. Then they beat up the chargers the following (laughs) week and then it all fell apart. I guess that they, it took them another week at least to get over being soaking wet. 
from Philly. So now we got to see like what this team really is yeah. starting this week. Yeah, the the dud in Philly in the rain was excusable, but you know to to do what that offense did at home versus Houston last week was was rough. And Trevor Lawrence did not play well. Trevor Lawrence is just super inconsistent at this point in his career. And it's not a surprise he's a young second year quarterback. So he is um, tough to trust in fantasy lineups. Like I'd rather look elsewhere. But like you said, he did play really well in this matchup the first time. I mean, he would have had a bigger game if that wasn't such a blowout. Um, completed twenty five of thirty passes, so it was super efficient. And the Colts are much tougher against the run than the past. They're 21st in pass defense DVOA. Um, so this, you know, could be a more pass heavy game plan from the Colts. So th- there's upside to, to uh, Trevor Lawrence in this matchup. There's upside. I would like to not have to start him, but there are certainly quarterbacks out there that I would start him over. Russell Wilson being the first one that jumps into mind. Christian Kirk's really the only Jaguar that I'm starting pretty confidently, less confidently than before the Jaguars last two games, but His season started with three straight six catch games. Then even in that bad game in Philly, he got nine targets. Then even last week in the three target game, he led Jaguars pass catchers in playing time. So there's just been, you know, three very good games and then two. Yeah. But games. So uh, that, that keeps Christian Kirk pretty easily inside the top 24 for me. Yeah. From a volume perspective, last week looks like the outlier, just 6% of the Jags targets. Kirk had seen 20 plus percent of the targets in each of the Jags first four games um he caught all six of his targets in the first matchup with the colts caught uh caught six for 78 and two scores uh the colts slot corner kenny moore has been struggling this season you look at his pff coverage grades or his you know um yards allowed in coverage he's he's you know near the bottom of the league so it looks like a good matchup for kirk in the slot mm-hmm. that tends to be the case with cornerbacks you're like oh this guy was excellent last year yeah. oh he's not so good this year that's that that happens all the time with those PFF coverage grades. I would like to not use James Robinson or the other Jags receivers in this one because of how the team has played the past two weeks. Obviously there'll be a lot of cases where you need to, um, but I would like to not, if it's a close decision, it is a positive matchup for Evan Ingram. So I would feel fine about using him. You know, of course, if you don't have tight end God, Taysom Hill. Yeah, great spot for Ingram. Uh, the Colts 22nd in adjusted points allowed to tight ends. Football Outsiders has them 26th in tight end coverage. And the Jags featured Ingram in that week two meeting. He had 27% of the team's targets in that game, caught seven of his eight targets. So I think he's a, uh, a nice PPR option this week if you don't have one of those top end tight ends. Yeah, you can find our adjusted fantasy points allowed to see just how good those matchups are on the fantasy points allowed page. You can find it on the strength of schedule page. You can find it on the rankings pages. You can find it in the free agent finder. It's going to help you in all those spots, not only decide who to start that week, but also, you know, potentially who to pick up to fill spots at various positions. Jared, before we get to the next game, here's an interesting trade question from YouTube. We've got Trade Lamar Jackson for Chris Olave and Dak Prescott. What do you think about this one? I mean, I hate to cop up, but I, I would need to see this team's wide receivers to see how big of an upgrade Olave would be. Um, I think you're you're losing quite a bit at quarterback. I think Prescott's going to be fine, but like you know, Lamar is one of those you know three or four guys who who is a real difference maker at the position. Yeah, I love the upside on Chris Olave, but it also matters whether you're starting two or three. If you're starting three wideouts, of course, it adds value to Chris Olave. If it, if you've got the kind of roster where he's probably going to be a starter for you most weeks going forward, then I think it gets to be okay. Otherwise, you're giving a difference maker at yeah. one position for you know pretty good options at two positions. Right, yep. 
Um, Carolina at the Rams, 4.05 Eastern time start here. Rams by 10, which shows you how bad Carolina has been because the Rams have not been very good. Over under 41 for this game. And I'm just avoiding this game as much as I can overall. We'll start on the Carolina side, I guess, because there's no Mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield at least. So we've got some, I don't know, there's room for people to be enticed by the unknown (laughs) here because we haven't seen a whole lot of P.J. Walker. But what I will say about P.J. Walker is he's been available throughout the whole time where these Panthers added Teddy Bridgewater, then Sam Darnold, then Baker Mayfield. They could have used P.J. Walker as a starter at any time over that stretch instead of buying each of those guys for either amounts of money or draft picks, and they have never done so other than when they need to. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that P.J. Walker is not good, but it's also tough to imagine him being worse than Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's been that bad. So, you know, maybe it's just a lateral move. I think there's a better chance it's a slight upgrade, though, than a slight downgrade just because Baker's been that bad. I don't I don't think there's any reason to bet on an upgrade here. I think we can treat it as a neutral move, and it, that makes me want to keep avoiding an offense that's been avoidable this year. Yeah, so I, you know, DJ Moore is the guy to talk about. Um, so, you know, in, in Walker's two starts, small sample, obviously, he's targeted DJ Moore on 29% of his throws. He also targeted uh, Christian McCaffrey on 34% of his passes in their one game together. So at least the guy seems to know where to throw the football. Um, and the Rams – 30th in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers through five games. And they've been getting crushed by number one receivers. Football outsider says them 29th against number one wideouts. They allowed 122 yards and touch touchdown to Steph Diggs, 86 yards and a score to Drake London, 140 yards and 14 catches to Marquise Brown, 115 yards and a score to Debo Samuel. So it's, it's a good matchup for DJ Moore. You can say that much. Um, and we'll, we'll see if the quarterback can, can get him to football. It is a positive matchup, but let's say those names again. Stefan Diggs, Drake London, Marquise Brown, Debo Samuel. So three first-round picks and yep. a guy that's been dominating for the past year and a half. So, I mean, that's a pretty tough run of wide receivers. DJ Moore is a good player in his own right, but these Panthers are god-awful, yeah. and there's still going to be the pass rush to deal with. So, I mean, I think that there's some hope for DJ Moore this week. I don't think either of us is calling DJ Moore – a stud. The question is, who do you start DJ Moore over or not? And where, from where he is in our rankings right now, wide receiver 30 in our PPR rankings right now. So obviously not a high point that puts him ahead of, T- of Terry McLaurin, who I would play. Um, and then, you know, after that, it's kind of an either way type of thing. We've got Juju, Rondell Moore, Drake London, Brandon Ayuk. Like if you want to play DJ Moore over Brandon Ayuk, that's fine. I'm certainly not going to make an argument there. I think there's probably a higher ceiling for Rondale Moore this week, even than DJ Moore, though. I mean, I'll never argue too hard against Rondale Moore, love, but um, it, I mean, yeah, he, he's a, he, I think Moore is a wide receiver three. I think he's higher than he, he's going to be most weeks in the rankings because of this matchup against the Rams. Um, I, I'm not super excited to use him. Uh, I would not call him a must start. But again, you know, with, with four teams on by, I think he's in the wide receiver three discussion. Yeah, I'll certainly give him that. Uh, on the other side, we're going to have to watch Cooper Cup's foot injury. We're going to have to watch Tyler Higby's ankle injury. They both, myth- both missed practice Wednesday, so we'll see where things go. Um, Sean McVay said we're going to be smart with those guys. So he didn't say that's nothing, we're not worried, and they're going to be playing. He said we're going to be smart. So that means that there's at least something bothering them. So, you know, we'll see where everything goes there. Cooper Cup, for what it's worth, 
his yardage line in the underdog pickums came down a couple yards, I think three yards from where I first got the numbers to when I looked at him this morning. So, you know, there's at least a little bit more risk in there. Not like you're sitting Cooper cup, but maybe that for like DFS decisions, um, you should factor in some injury risk here. Yeah. I'll keep an eye on those two guys. I mean, who are what 60% of the Rams passing game right now. I mean, they're the only two guys that you want to be using in this offense. Matt Stafford's been horrible. He only has one week higher than quarterback 17. He's been quarterback 29 or worse in three of his five. You know, Carolina's kind of a middling pass defense, but definitely not. It's not, not a matchup where I'm like, you know, this is going to be Stafford's breakout spot. Yeah, try to just avoid this game as much as you can if you have close decisions between <laughs> guys from here and guys from elsewhere. So let's go way the other way and move on now to the Buffalo-Kansas City game where you can start anybody that you feel like. It's the week's highest over-under at 54 by three and a half points, so well ahead of the next one. There's only two games over 50 this week. Um this is a game, like I said, to even favor fringe options. Like if you're wondering whether to start Isaiah McKenzie, sure, go for it. If you're wondering about Dawson Knox, sure, go for it. If he's available, he was limited in practice Wednesday. We're going to have to watch and see how he is. Certainly not a must start because he hasn't done anything so far. But this is a game that could have any number of points that you could imagine. For sure. Um, you know, McKenzie and Knox both still make me uneasy. Uh, and with McKenzie, it's, I don't know exactly how big of a role he's returning to. Like, you know, honestly, a week ago, I thought he was going to be like their ever down slot receiver, but Claire Shakir looked good in that win over the Steelers. And you know, Josh Allen seems to trust the guy already because he, he made some, you know, throws to Shakir in tight coverage where, you know, he's trusting Shakir to go up and make the play. So I think McKenzie's going to lead in slot snaps, but I think it, he might kind of be back where he was and instead of Crowder stealing you know a third of the, the slot snaps it's Cleo Shakir so I, I'm definitely going to be keeping it close on, on that because it's a super valuable role in this offense yep yeah I agree that Isaiah McKenzie's not a definitely plug him in because he's definitely the slot receiver we'll see about Khalil Shakir we liked Khalil, Khalil Shakir coming in so it would not be surprising if he forces his way um, into the picture here Devin Singletary is one other guy to wonder about and we mentioned previously that he has seen more playing time when the bills are trailing, which doesn't happen very often than when they're leading. So this game should yeah. be closer or even find them behind at times. So there's probably a better chance for Devin Singletary to stay on the field this game than there might be if they were projected to win by a lot that helps him. There's always the question of how much he actually gets the ball. I certainly don't think his touch ceiling is high, but he's fine in that, you know, high RB three yeah. range. Yeah, I honestly, I don't even think it's a trailing leading thing. I think it's Singletary was pulled in weeks two and five when it was total blowouts against the Titans and Steelers. And, you know, the, the Bills pulled Josh Allen and, and other starters as well. You know, it was in, in tighter games in week three or four, 73 and 88% of the snaps for Singletary. So I, I really think that, that you know, he's going to be at least a 60 to 70% snap guy in most games. Now, you're right. The concern is it's still a Josh Allen centric offense. And, Singletary can play 75% of the snaps and get like eight carries and four targets. Um, but I really think the low snap rates have just been due to the blowouts. Yeah. I mean, probably I got the stat from PFF in the recap pod. It was something like 53% when they're trailing and 70 something percent when they're ahead. So uh, when they're, uh, yeah, when they're ahead or tied. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the close game helps them either way. And here's one question on flex that includes Devin Singletary, Jared from Jason Voltaggio. <sighs> on youtube devin singletary chris Olave, who we're assuming right now is going to be out we'll see as we get closer yeah. alan lazard 
Jerry Judy. I said I'm leaning Alan Lazard over Singletary, but it's between those two players for me. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's Olave for sure if he's active. Um, if not, I would I would go Lazard over Singletary, assuming it's you know full PPR or half PPR. Yes, that's what I would go with as well. On the Chiefs side of this one, the wide receivers still look like a coin flip to me between Juju Smith-Schuster and MVS. Playing time, targets, total fantasy points, all very close between them. This does look like, I think, a tough game for Patrick Mahomes to be able to throw deep. Maybe that's a point against MVS a little bit more than Juju because of the Buffalo pressure, not because of the Buffalo secondary, which we've talked about being banged up and the chiefs are actually tied for the ninth highest pressure rate allowed on offense, according to pro football reference. It's a tough matchup for KC. Like I'm not saying they're going to come out and, you know, not put up 20 something points, but like, you know, this feels he is tough. I wouldn't want to use either of these wide receivers. Um, you know, they're 44th and 45th respectively in expected fantasy points. MBS finished wide receiver 20 and half PPR points last week. That was the first game that either of these guys finished as a top 30 fantasy wide receiver. So that, you know, they're just, they're just not, producing um it's it's you know travis kelsey and then a whole whole bunch of nothing as far as these pass catchers go that sounds like confirmation that mvs is the better guy (laughs) ceh week four at the bucks remains the outlier in his usage he came back immediately from that game and played fewer snaps than Jarek mckinnon who looked better than ceh in this game and i mean that playing time difference was highlighted because Clyde Edwards Elayer was stopped short of the goal line twice. If he had gotten into the end zone on either of those, and especially if he'd gotten in on both, there would be no, you know, there would not be a whole lot of talk about it, but like that highlights the danger to his role is if he doesn't get in the end zone, he's forgettable. Yeah, exactly. I don't really feel much different about CEH now as I did last week. I mean, I think you're right. I think McKinnon did look good in that game against the Raiders last week. So maybe that earns him a bit more playing time going forward, but I would still bet on CEH like being the the lead back here in a committee. Um, There's still upside as we've seen, you know, throughout the first four weeks of the season. And this, this, you know, should be a high scoring game. So yeah, I think you can stick with Everett Zolaire, but yeah, I I think he's a borderline RB2, RB3 play with a high, high ceiling, but also a pretty low floor. Yeah, I certainly still use him first, but I that's that's why he's still a sell. It's a little bit tougher right now than it was a week ago, but I, I, I don't know if it's nice because I was wondering coming off the Bucks game if things were going to change and maybe mm-hmm. if we were too hasty in selling him. So, you know, I guess in that I was already considering him a sell. It's good to get confirmation on my feelings of him. I agree with what you said. I don't feel all that differently right now about him than I did a week ago, other than confirmed in my prior feelings. He's, he's just not good enough to like, you know, be the clearly guy in this backfield. He's not. Which is a very bad sign when you're competing against a sixth round rookie and granted Isaiah Pacheco is talented and Jarek McKinnon, who is on the wrong side of 30 and has never been special in the NFL. That's it's just that's bad for Clyde Edwards Euler. Imagine taking Edwards Euler over Jonathan Taylor in the NFL draft. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh man. Oh well, at least he's got at least Andy Reid's got a lot more success uh, behind him than uh, that can account for. <laughs> Arizona at Seattle uh, Cardinals by two and a half in this one, because Vegas apparently agrees with Jared about Kyler Murray (laughs) over under a 50 and a half. This is the only other game that's that high second highest over under the week. It's five points ahead of number three. So there are only two games that are higher than 45 and a half in total. That's got Arizona as the second highest implied total for the week. And I think that that's nuts because Arizona is 18th in scoring 27th in yards per play 23rd, in offensive DVOA, 
it's they're worse relative to the rest of the league in passing than running. It's just a garbage offense. I know that the matchup is great here, but the Cardinals suck this year. The Seahawks defense sucks worse than the Cardinals offense, though. Um, so that that's the argument here. Um, it sounds like a Panthers Browns game as opposed to a shootout. <laughs> I, I I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think Seattle has the good offense and the crappy defense to be in a bunch of shootouts this season. Um, so, I mean, Kyler, Kyler's basically been a, a slightly better version of Aaron Rodgers so far this season where he's just been a floor play. Um, he's finished quarterback 13 or better in four of his five games. He has quarterback seven and quarterback nine finishes. So he, he hasn't been killing you. There hasn't been a ceiling game yet, but um, I mean, this is a great spot for it. I mean, you know, one more week without DeAndre Hopkins, which hurts, um, but you know, Rondell Moore has kind of emerged, which is going to help. Um, I, I think, I think Kyler is a nice play this week and definitely someone to, to consider in, in uh, DFS tournaments. He's also been absolutely saved by passing volume because he's playing poorly in real football terms as well. And I think that, the question, like we we obviously argue about this stuff offline. I think Kyler Murray is way too high at QB5 in our rankings. Um, I think that the first real question, like I'm playing Tom Brady and Justin Herbert easily, but people aren't making that decision in their season-long lineup, so it doesn't really matter. I think Geno Smith versus Kyler Murray is the first decision. And, I mean, that might seem crazy because we're not that far into Geno Smith being worthwhile. I'm honestly not sure which of these guys that I would start in my own lineup if I had that decision to make. So the comparison with Gino versus Kyler is basically, do you believe that in what's going on this year or do you believe in everything before this year? Because everything before this year says Gino Smith is not that good. And Kyler Murray is decent and on the rise this year. Gino Smith has undeniably been way better than Kyler Murray in every way. Seattle's offense, first of all, is number one in DVOA right now. Number one in passing DVOA, number 12 in rushing. They've got Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf at wide receivers, so easily better a better set of wideouts than Kyler Murray has overall right now because he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins back yet. Geno's got two more total touchdowns than Kyler Murray. He's got a league-high 75% completions, 10 points ahead of Murray in that category, third in yards per attempt at 8.3. Kyler Murray's at 5.8. 5.7% touchdown rate, sixth in the league. Kyler Murray's at 2.8. That's bound to come up, but he was low before this season. He had a high of 5% through his first three years. Gino leads all quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. He's fourth in ESPN's QBR. Kyler Murray, 21st in passing grade, 13th in QBR. So, I mean, this year, if we just, if we covered the names, covered history, and look at just this year, like it would be nuts to start Kyler Murray over Geno Smith based on just this year's numbers. I mean, you're not going to get me to say anything bad about Geno Smith. I'm totally buying that this is real. Um, we got a couple of those freaking throws he made last week against the Saints were unbelievable. The touchdown to Tyler Lockett he had another throw to Tyler Lockett when he rolled out to his left and just threaded one over a DB. I mean, he, he's playing awesome. You, you've mentioned all the stats, and it's, it's a great matchup here. To, here's, to me, the best argument for Geno over Kyler. The – Cardinals defense is first in pass rate over expected against teams are throw, throw, throwing against Arizona. The Seahawks are 32nd in pass rate over expected against. So teams are running against the Seahawks defense. So to me, that, that's the best argument to me using Gino over Kyler is that the, you know, Gino might get more passing volume in this game, but I like both guys this week. I, I think I would play Gino over Kyler Murray this week because the only 
thing in Kyler Murray's favor is yeah, but before this year, it's like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, it's like, it's the NFL. So anything can happen yeah. in a given week, but I, I, I'm playing Gino this week and I'm certainly playing the other guys. Like, even if you look just below, I think Kirk Cousins is the next guy after Gino Smith. And I mean, Kirk Cousins is at least a safer floor play than Kyler. And I think somebody that you have, uh, you know, there's a chance that people are making that decision just to me, like, the matchup definitely makes Kyler a top 12 guy, but everything else about him makes him somebody that I don't want to say for sure he's going off this week. I, I, again, he's quarterback 10 on the season, so it's not like he's been horrible in fantasy, and now he has this awesome matchup. Um, and I, I feel I feel pretty good about Kyler in the matchup. I, I, I also think he, he, he still beats Geno on rushing upside too. Yeah, but they don't even want to run him. Even that, you need to pressure him out of the pocket, and Seattle's bad at that. Yep, that's true. <laughs> Well, so there's the quarterbacks. I, I, you know, I wonder how many people are deciding. If you are deciding between Kyler Murray and Geno Smith this week, feel free to let us know either in the comment section on Twitter, um, whatever. Elsewhere in this game, you know, Marquise Brown's pretty easy on the Arizona side. Zach Ertz is pretty easy on that side. The Seahawks matchup numbers are inflated by Taysom Hill last week, but we also had an Adam Troutman touchdown from a true tight end position last week against Seattle. TJ Hawkinson had the monster game. Ross Dwelly scored a touchdown with George Kittle out. So it's a good matchup for a tight end. Um, any, any fringe guys, obviously we have to watch the backfield to see what happens with James Conner. Right. Um, the backfield's big. I mean, you know, Benjamin's going to be in, like a nice RB2 play if Connor's out. Um, and I think Rondell Moore is the other fringe guy. Um, so I think as we kind of predicted with AJ Green back last week, Moore moved back into the slot, 83% of his snaps from the inside. That's where we want to see him. He caught seven balls on eight targets. And, and um, the slot is where the Seahawks have especially struggled against the pass. Their uh, slot corner has been, been really bad. 11.8 yards per target allowed in coverage so I, I i like this matchup for rondell Moore, and we got the playing time that we were hoping for from rondell Moore last week so i like the spot for him as well um backfield you know we talked about arizona we're watching james connor on the seattle side kenneth walker is about to have his chance to break out because rashad penny's done for the season a fairly easy choice as a play He's sitting 17th in our ppr rankings just ahead of miles sanders and ceh i'm comfy with walker over ceh because of Edward Zelaire's role and the chance that Buffalo jumps ahead of Casey in this game. Not sure which way I'd go between Walker and Miles Sanders. We'll get to that Philly game next. Yeah, I would lean Walker. I mean, this guy is an awesome rushing prospect and in limited sample so far this season, he's, he's been awesome. He's ninth among 54 qualifiers in PFFs elusive rating to, and I mean, Seattle's offense obviously will be better than we expected in you know the preseason. So that's a mark in Walker's favor. The question is how big of a role he's going to play in the passing game. You know, Rashad Penny was doing nothing in the passing game as Seattle's lead back, but Walker already has you know like showed more in the passing game than than Penny has for most of his career. Um, you know, he he has a, a couple of three target games. He even ran a route on forty four percent of the dropbacks last week. So you know, DJ Dallas is the other guy there. I do think he'll mix in on some passing downs, but if we can get two, three, four targets per game out of Walker along with, you know, 15 or so carries. I think he's going to be a really nice fantasy play. Yeah. Certainly plenty of upside to him this week. Anything else from that game? Um, Oh, I didn't know the Cardinals are, have been awesome against number one wide receiver so far. Um, they limited Cooper cup to 44 scoreless yards. Dante Adams caught just two passes against them. AJ Brown last week had the dud against them. So I, that's why, that's why if you look at our rankings, we have Tyler Lockett ahead of DK Metcalf 
this week. I think, um, you know, Metcalf is going to get that number one wide receiver treatment. I think it might be a more productive game for Lockett. They're, they're both good plays for season long, but um, for, for DFS, it's going to be Lockett for me this week. I'll be curious to see if that turns out to be a mirage or if it's something that continues. So those are certainly some big name wide receivers and high performing wide receivers that have mm-hmm. been limited, but it's one of those situations too, where it's just like, I can't look at the Cardinals and be like, Oh yeah, this is why they're good at that. Yeah. I think Byron Murphy has been pretty good. Um, and by the way, too, last year, Metcalf had two pretty quiet games against Arizona and Lockett had two great, pretty big games against them. Sweet. So we'll go for another big Tyler Lockett week this week. Dallas at Philly on Sunday night. Cowboy, no, Philly by six. Man, I don't know what was up with my typing. Um, so Eagles by six in this one, over under 42. Cowboys carry the week's third lowest implied point total. I think that's the biggest, that's the, the player that that impacts the most in terms of outlook is Ezekiel Elliott. So yep. he's basically just inside the bottom of RB2 territory in our rankings, pretty much because that's how the projections have to work with how many touches he's getting. Um, I think... He's an uncomfortable play, but he's solid because of that touch certainty. And then the question is, how certain are those touches if they do fall behind? Because we've had four straight Cowboys wins. The only game where he did not have at least 15 carries was that week one loss to the Bucks. So if they fall behind the Eagles, maybe it's less touch certainty here than we've gotten used to for Elliott. Yeah, it's definitely higher than I'd like to see Elliott in our rankings, but you know, it's just it's the position and, and the bye weeks at this point. Um, I, I think I, I mentioned it last week how you know Zeke and Pollard in games they haven't scored this season they they have hurt your fantasy team. Zeke has finished RB thirty or worse in all four games that he hasn't scored this season, um, so that's definitely a concern. I mean, the Eagles are much tougher against the pass than the run. Football Outsiders has them twentieth in run defense. And I, and I do think Dallas's defense is good enough to keep this game close enough where, you know, Zeke can probably get his 15 or so carries, but, but, but again, I think if he doesn't score, you know, you're not going to be very happy with it, with his fantasy points. And Philly's offense is also good enough that they could just jump out to a 10 or 14, nothing lead, even if the yep. game ends up not being that high scoring uh, to match. So that could certainly yep. hurt things. I think it's okay to take a shot on a running back behind Zeke in our rankings that might have a higher ceiling. Um, You know, like I said, the projections kind of dictate that you can only put Zeke so low without, uh, I don't know, I guess building more bias into Mm -hmm. game flow here, assuming stuff like Philly going up by a lot of points early. I think where you could hedge that, you know, if you're, if you're feeling uneasy about it, you start the wide, the running back that looks like it has um, a higher ceiling. And then you can bet Ezekiel Elliott in an underdog pick him or a sleeper over under because his yardage line right now is 51 and a half yards. He's been over 51 and a half in four or five games so far. So he's a very good bet to get beyond that level, you know, unless he has just 10 carries like he did in week one against the Bucks. anything beyond that. He's a pretty good bet to exceed that number. Yeah. I mean, what's really fueling Zeke's projection is the Cowboys have gone super run heavy with Cooper rush under center the past four weeks. They threw on just 30% of their plays last week against the Rams. Now that was with playing with the lead throughout, which obviously impacted that. Um, but again, I, I do think they're, they're going to go as run heavy as they can in this game. And we've got no Dak Prescott again in this game. So it will be more Cooper rush week. One was also the playing time high for Tony Pollard, 55% of the snaps in that game since then 39, 44, 39, 42. So not usable level for Tony Pollard, despite what the long touchdown run against the Rams might suggest last week. Such a sick run, too. Like, why would you not want to get that guy at the ball more? But until we see it happen. Yep. 
Can't bet on it. Dalton Schultz limited Wednesday, but I'd have to be really oh. hard up to play him left week five early with more knee trouble. I don't know. I, I felt like they rushed him back to begin with. Um, then he, you know, hurts it again. So I don't know what they're doing with Schultz, but I, I, you definitely can't trust him in fantasy lineups this week. There are three Saints tight ends ahead of Dalton Schultz in our <laughs> this week. Oh my gosh. What a sport. On the Philly side, all the usuals comfortably inside starter territory. The lowest that I see is Devontae Smith at wide receiver 29. He's going to be one of those guys that you just never feel totally comfortable <laughs> starting or not starting. He's out-targeted A.J. Brown since week one. It's 34 targets to Devontae, for Devontae Smith, 32 for A.J. Brown. Brown just slightly ahead of Devontae Smith in expected points since then. It's uh, Brown's 21st among receivers. Devontae Smith's 25th among receivers. So, um I, I think, you know, I think week one sort of made it look like Brown was going to be the clear lead guy here. Um, but I, I really think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think right now. Yeah. And I mean, that's what we didn't like about AJ Brown heading into the season. Not, I don't believe in AJ Brown, but Devonte Smith is also pretty good and there's only going to be so yeah. many targets to go around. So that's coming to um, fruition. I think what's keeping them both from smashing is that Philly is right around um, their passing versus expected. And it, mm-hmm. we, you know, we, there's there, we saw some possibility of this team going past heavier, but they seem to be settling into their sweet spot right now where they're not yeah. going crazy with the passing volume and they certainly don't need to. Yeah. Which makes sense. I think they should kind of be middle of the pack there and the Cowboys, by the way, teams are going run heavy against the Cowboys. And that makes sense because they're 18th in football outsiders run defense, DVOA fourth against the pass. So I, you could definitely see the Eagles lean run in this game. Yep. Miles Sanders at RB 18 mentioned he's right behind Kenneth Walker. I think it's really a toss up between those two. Either guy could get 20 plus carries in their respective game. I do think that there's a better chance that Philly controls their game. That's certainly what the Vegas lines say. So maybe that's yep. a slight point in favor of Miles Sanders. Kenneth Walker is probably a more talented runner at this point though. So, you know, like I said, it's really a coin flip between those two. If you're facing that specific um, decision, all I know is I'm really looking forward to getting Miles Sanders versus Jeff Wilson Jr. Wrong for the third straight week. <laughs> Oh, who are you going with? So I like know who I can play the other guy in DFS, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to decide until right before <laughs> I have to, so that there's no time for yeah. the football gods to review it. The, the Eagles are getting Boston Scott back this week. I know it's not a major thing, but he did average like three and a half carries per game over the first few weeks, and I think you know that that's going to come out of Sanders' workload. So maybe you know shave a carry or two from his projection. Mm. Anything else from that game? No. Denver at the Chargers to close this out on Monday night. Chargers by five over under 45 and a half. A healthy Russell Wilson has been crap this year. So a less than 100% Russ versus a talented defense. I am not even considering unless I need to use him comfortably playing Carson Wentz over him tonight. I'm playing Matthew Stafford or Trevor Lawrence over Russell Wilson as well. I would too. And I don't even like Wentz or Stafford this week, but I would play them over Russ. Um, I don't know if you read the article from Ian Rapport about Russ's like shoulder injection, but there was a weird sentence in it where Rapport was like, you know, usually this this injury is not treated with an injection and guys need to rest. This is the same injury that Dak had last summer and he, he didn't throw for like a month in August. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know Russ's exact situation, but it seems like he might, you know, kind of be trying to push through an injury that he shouldn't be pushing through. So he, yeah, like you said, he's been bad even when he's been healthy. So Jared, you can't ride if you're not pushing through, man. <laughs> you got to keep riding. 
Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Melvin Gordon, all okay, but certainly not good options. Could be a nice spot for Melvin yeah. Gordon, especially with the Russ arm questions. Softer run D than last week against the Colts. You know, the chance there's a chance that they fall behind in this one, which is the knock on him. But Melvin Gordon should still be okay on the passing side. The other question is how much Mike Boone do we get? Or Latavius right. Murray. Right. So, so Sutton, Sutton's like a comfortable starter to me. Um, he's, he's eighth among receivers in expected fantasy points. He's 15th in actual fantasy points. So even with a crappy offense, he's been producing. Um, Judy has been up and down. I mean, he has two nice games and two duds, um, a 19% target share in his four healthy games, which in a struggling offense is, you know, kind of a, a shaky mark for reliable fantasy production. So he, he's like a borderline um, wide receiver three Judy is the backfield. So, I mean, at the start of the game, Melvin Gordon was like the guy in that backfield. Even so in the first half, it was seven carries and two targets for Melvin Gordon to one carry and one target for Mike Boone. In the second half, it was eight carries and one target to, for Gordon, six carries and two targets for Mike Boone. So it was pretty much a 50, 50 split in the second half. I, and overtime of that game. Um, I thought Boone looked like the better back. Um, so you know, we'll kind of see how it goes from here. And like you said, Latavius Murray is expected to be active this week. So he might get mixed in too. It is a good matchup against the chargers. But, um, I think, you know, Gordon's projected volume is, is a pretty wide range on it this week. Yeah. I use Gordon first, but I'm not going out of my way to start a Broncos back, especially yeah. with the chance that they fall behind in this one, as you can tell by the yeah. five and a half point line, we might get our first look at Greg Dulcich came off of IR. I'm certainly not using him in fantasy right. not even, you know, going crazy to pick him up unless I'm in really bad shape at tight end. This has been a tight end by committee so far, but yeah. I think Greg Dulcich has the best chance among Broncos tight ends to at some point this year, become a guy that we can use. Right. I mean, none of the Broncos individual tight ends are putting up useful fantasy numbers, but if you combine them, like it'd be pretty solid. So if Dulcich can you know, get 80% of that work, he could be usable. I, I added him in an FFPC league last night. Yeah, I think that a tight end premium format is certainly an okay place to add him. Even the whole group of Broncos tight ends sits just 26th in PPR points so far. So, you know, not a place to go crazy chasing. Um, on the Chargers side, nothing tricky. The biggest question, I think, is does Keenan Allen play? You know, we're watching to see. It's it, We got – he was running off to the side on Wednesday during practice. We don't have an official practice report yet because it's a Monday night game. So they go Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we'll see about Keenan Allen's status as we pull closer to that game. Obviously we'll need to know, you know, for sure, I guess, before the Sunday right. games to really start him versus most of the players that we'll be deciding against. Yep. We'll, we'll see on Allen, no truck shark fights for that stuff. Um, Josh Palmer did kind of reemerge as the clear number two. He actually matched Palmer matched Mike Williams uh, with 88% of their outs last week so you know Palmer is back as the guy to use if Keenan Allen is out for Monday's game but it's a tough matchup though the Broncos have been really tough against the pass so far this season football outsiders has them second in pass defense they are sixth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers so I don't I don't love Palmer as a play but at least we know that you know the playing time will be there for him if Allen's out mm -hmm. Mike Williams dealing with an illness for now we'll watch that usually doesn't turn out to be a big deal so we'll keep an eye on it what should we expect from Gerald Everett's role here Jared yeah, I think you stick with Gerald Everett. I mean, he disappointed last week, saw just three targets. That was a season low, um, but still ran her out on 70% of the dropbacks, which is a fine number. Um, he's still ninth among tight ends in both actual and expected fantasy points. So I think Everett's a guy, you know, if, if you don't have a start at the position, you just kind of roll with him as a lower end tight end one every week, just tied to Justin Herbert.
Yeah, he's not a guy that's on a level with Robert Tunyon because he's playing a lot more snaps. He's also not right. on the level with Dallas Goddard because he's not playing as many snaps. So somewhere in between there, somebody that you're fine at tight end with if you have him, even if there are weeks that he lets you down. That's going to happen. Just get comfy with it. Exactly. Well, that's going to do it for this week six preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can see exactly how we stack up all of these guys against each other at their position. That includes the flex, which gets its own page among our rankings. Of course, your best view is likely to be the My Team page, which applies our projections to your league scoring and lineup settings to make full lineup recommendations for your specific team. And from there, our free agent finder is just a click away. So that's going to show you the top options available in every one of the leagues that you sync up to DraftSharks.com. You can sort that either by that week's projections or season-long numbers. You can still become a DS Insider now. You can take advantage of all those tools to help you set your best lineup every week and make the moves that you need to win a championship in your league. Plus, our trade partner navigator is in there as well. So let if you don't want to become a DS Insider, um, but would still like to support us, you can check out our partner links at the footer of this podcast. You can subscribe to our show on any platform that you choose. We appreciate all of it. For Jared Smoll and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.